what a great night of worship, just, just everybody being together. And so I, I don't know if this is like a pastor thing or, or you guys kind of look at this as well, uh, but Karen and I, Karen's my wife in case you, you don't know that, and Karen and I, one of the things that we like to do is we notice church signs. Um, and sometimes we wonder, you know, who puts those things up there? And I begin to wonder and begin to believe that, you know what, sometimes maybe the most powerful person in church is not the pastor and not the elders, not the deacons, not even the people. Maybe it's the person that, that does these church signs. So, so we have a collection of church signs that sometimes we've sent back and forth to each other. And so I've taken out some of the Pueblo church signs, uh, so I don't want to offend anybody. So these are from different cities. And so I just want to give you like some of my top five church signs just real quickly. So here, here, here's the first one. It says, now is a good time to visit our church. Our pastor is on vacation. So I, so I asked myself, did they put that up before he left or after he got out of town? Here, here, here's another one. <laughs> Whoever stole our AC units, keep one. It is hot where you're going. <laughs> yeah. Now there's someone that needs some forgiveness, so they may have issues. So, so these are actual ones. And so so here, here, here's another one. Free marriage counseling from our priest who has never been in a relationship. Yeah, maybe somebody, just saying maybe somebody got some bad counseling. And so, uh, so and they're bitter about it. But anyway, so here, here's another one. What is hell like? Come hear our preacher. So here, here's the last thing, and I mean, I tell you, we got a lot of these, but watch this. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. And don't go it alone. So, so anyway, I just, I, I just had, I, for whatever reason, I felt led to share that. So what brings us here tonight, thank you. So what brings us here tonight is, is Emmanuel and that, that God is, is with us. And, and in, in case you're new to our church or you're new to this community, uh, I, I just want you to let you know that Fellowship of Rockies is a church that believes in the inspired Word of God. In fact is, we believe every word in Scripture is there for a meaning and it's there for a reason. And so for the next 15, 20 minutes, I'm going to talk to you directly out of His Word. And I'm going to talk to you about this issue this Christmas about something that's just like a burden on my heart. And that, that is this issue of, of what is grace. And what is grace and how does grace apply to my life? In fact, this is such a burden on January 16th and 17th in our church. I'm going to start a brand new series called Grace at Work and just looking at how does grace work in your life and what is working grace looks like. Many times when we come to like the, the Christmas story, uh, we talk about the miracle of Christmas and Christmas was, 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 was a miracle. But sometimes maybe what we forget about is this, is that there were some normalcy in the Christmas story. Joseph and Mary were normal people. I mean, Mary was, was, was a teenager. Uh, Joseph was older than Mary. And, but they were normal people, and they had normal lives. I mean, Joseph was, was, a, was a carpenter. Uh, the Greek word for that was tekton, which simply means this, that he was a builder. He was a builder of wood and stone. And so Joseph, if we were to, like, modernize this story, Joseph was, was a carpenter. And so he got up every morning. He put a tool belt on and a, and a hard hat and a lunchbox, and, uh, and he worked. And so the scripture also tells us that, that Jesus, Jesus was a carpenter. The fact is, Jesus was a carpenter up until his 30s when he, uh, when he began doing miracles and his, his ministry started. 
And when Jesus began to start preaching, people would, would say things when they'd see the miracles and hear his sermons. They would say, who did this? And, and uh, they would say, who did this? And, and they would say, Jesus of Nazareth. And what they were really saying was, that carpenter? I mean, in our times, it may have went something like this. That carpenter? Jesus? Oh, yeah. He built a deck for me. He, he built some furniture for me. He, he did that addition on our house. And I remember he was like a really, really nice guy. And he gave an honest day's word for an honest day's wage. And, and he, he, talked, he talked about God a lot. And he was just a really great guy. Fact is, I remember that time that I gave him a cup of water and it like lasted all day. I mean, when you look at this story, you realize that the Christmas story was a miracle, yes, but there was some normalcy to it. Norman T. Wright, a contemporary theologian of our time, he writes this about Christmas. He said, Christmas is the moment when God launched a divine rescue mission of humankind. John chapter 1, verse 14, the scriptures would, would render it this way. And it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. And we have seen His glory, and glory as the only Son from the Father. And then, then watch this. And then he, He's full. And He's full of grace and truth. The fact is, you jump down a couple more verses to verse 16, and it says this, and from his fullness, talking about Jesus, and from his fullness, we have all, that's an important word, all, we have all received grace upon grace. In other words, this grace that never runs out. In other words, this grace that just keeps flowing. But the question is this, Emmanuel, God with us, and grace upon grace as Christians. Why is it that it seems like that many of us as Christians, we don't understand grace? Grace sometimes for the believer is one of the most misunderstood things. I mean, you can just look around our world and you realize maybe we don't understand grace. I mean, this is a season of peace and goodwill towards men. But we have a long ways to go, don't we? How many believers don't really get and understand grace? How many believers live under a sense of shame and condemnation for the past to where they're either performance-oriented or they're perfection-driven. And no matter what, they can't work hard enough, they can't be perfect enough, and they feel like their entire life, for some reason, they just don't measure up. I mean, if it is up to our performance, then it's not amazing grace. It is amazing you. And none of us are that amazing. And what the scripture teaches us about this issue of grace, and this issue of salvation, it is not by your performance. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one, no man, no woman, no person may boast. It is not, it is not your performance. It is a gift of God. And as a result of that, none of us can boast. In earth and on earth, there's a lot of boasting. But in heaven, what Scripture says, there will be no boasting in heaven. You will not get to heaven and you will not say, I did so great and that's why I'm here. I had some friends that weren't as good as me, weren't as great as me, and that's why they're not here. But because of my life, 
because of the greatness of my life, that's why I'm here. No, you're not going to say that because the very first time that you see the nails in his hands, you're going to know why you're there. This issue of grace is just such a burden to me to help Christians understand that. Why is it sometimes that when we, when we meet Christ, we never say that it's because of me, but the longer that we're believers and the longer that we're Christians, we begin saying that it's, it's because of me, it's because of my works. I don't know if you have a vivid picture like I do of what grace looks like. I'm fortunate enough that I, I have a very vivid picture in my mind what grace looks like, and I'm praying and I'm hoping tonight before we leave this place and light candles that you'll have a picture and an image of what grace looks like. When I was a senior in high school, I had a 1973 Cougar XR7. And I love that car. I rebuilt that car. And for, for, for you men and women that, that love cars and engines, and I'll tell you a little bit about it, had a 351 Cleveland, which that was the engine to have in that XR7. I put an Elderbrock high-performance intake manifold, a Holley 650 double pumper, to where a normal fuel line would starve the engine. We used a garden hose to get enough gas to the engine. I ran 50s all the way around at glass packs, and, and there was a time, a senior in high school, a buddy in my, of mine and I were in Texas, Bay City, Texas. We're, we're out of the city limits, and, and I'm not going to tell you how fast, but I was traveling at a high rate of speed. I don't know if you've ever turned a car sideways on dry pavement. That is an unsettling thing. And I lost control of that car. Uh, I, I went off the road. I went in a ditch. I came out of a ditch. I straddled a barbed wire fence. I, I ran that barbed wire fence, uh, watching fence posts go over my hood and stuck in the hood and through the windshield. Uh, I, I finally ran out, thank the Lord, of barbed wire fence and ended up in like a cornfield. Fortunately, my buddy and I both walked away. And we walked our way to a, farm, a small farmhouse, and we used a telephone that was back in the days before cell phones and all of the other things. And so we used their, we used their, their, their phone, and I called my dad. So my dad shows up, and he knew what had happened. I told him, and he shoot, showed up with a couple of his buddies in a truck. And so I'll never forget, my dad gets out of the car. He looks, he looks at me, looks at, looks at my car, looks at the damage, and he said, Son, when you ran out of fence, why didn't you, why didn't you hang a left and just take out the back? portion also and he kind of laughed and made sure I was okay he said get in the car I got in the car uh, we towed that we towed that car home it, it was totaled it, it, it was a wreck and so but before that car was towed to the salvage yard my dad knew how much I loved that car and so my dad my dad pried off of that car some emblems and made me a plaque and so here, here's a picture I took a picture of it uh, so that I could show you. So that picture hangs in the office of my home office across from my desk. My dad took the keys and some emblems that really didn't, wasn't hard to get off. They were already dangling anyway. And then you got to know a little bit about my dad. That's nothing like my dad. My dad at, ele at 11 years old was, was an, worked in the oil field in the oil patch, and he was a roughneck. And my dad had a unique way of saying things. And so when my dad handed me that plaque, he looked at me and he said, Son, and I'll give you the church version. Uh, he said, Son, fathers take care of the stupid things their kids do.
In other words, love covers a multitude of sins. Grace, what my dad was saying, grace covers a multitude of stupid sins. Let me ask you something. Have you ever done something stupid in your life? Don't raise your hands. Have you ever done anything stupid in your life? Well, I can tell you this. Your Father in heaven even extends grace over the stupid things you do. See, this issue of grace, this issue of salvation, we didn't deserve it then and we don't deserve it now. Romans 3.24 says this, we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This word grace is a, is, is a Greek word, and it's actually pronounced horus. And this, this word for grace that is used in the New Testament is horus, and it's a, it's a very interesting word. In fact, is a, a pastor by the name of Max Lucado who has written a lot of books. He did a lot of research into how this word grace was used culturally in, in, in everyday Greek language that Paul used and pulled out and used in the Scriptures. And his idea was that maybe if we understood how it was used culturally, we could understand deeper about this issue of grace. You see, this word harvest was a, was a cultural word, and it was before it was a scriptural word. This word grace actually, actually means this, a benevolent gift from a superior to an inferior. In other words, culturally, before it was a biblical word, before it was a spiritual word, biblically they would use this word grace when someone's superior in wealth or goods, saw a person that was inferior, in other words, with lacking in goods or wealth. And when the, when the person saw that person and they gave to them or they met a need for them, in their culture that was called grace. But here's the interesting thing about this word that Max Lucado found, is that actually there's three pe people, three persons involved in this issue of grace. Now you and I would just think too, the person giving and the person receiving. But actually, in their culture, it, it, it involved three. The person providing the goods was called the patron. And the person receiving the goods was called the client. Now listen, we, we need to be careful with this because I don't think we should use these words as far as the gospel when we talk about the gospel. But it does help us understand culturally about this issue of grace. For instance, if we, we may be able to understand it this way. If someone owned a, a food market, and wanted to give some food to the orphanage to help the children, the, the market owner, the, the, the food owner, would be called the patron, and the children would be called the client. But the question is, is, who is this third person? Again, this is what happened in culture. The third person would be called the broker. See, the broker would go out in the community, and the broker would see the needs, would see the needs of the inferior and the broker would bring the inferior together with the superior. Actually, what Max Lucado found, it was the broker that paid for the food. The patron provided it. The client received it. But the broker paid for it. Does this sound familiar? Our broker is Jesus who brought us together with the Father, but also paid for our sins. I mean, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says it this way. It says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have a broker. 
We have a Messiah. We have Emmanuel, God with us, who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but for the sins of the world. In other words, this issue of grace. This issue of grace is not obtained by performance or perfection. Romans 11.6 says, But it is by grace, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. You know what the scripture is saying? He is saying grace is either free or it is earned. If it is grace, then it cannot be earned. It was paid for. It was paid for by Jesus. Let me ask you a question. You, have, you ever, have you ever given a, a Christmas gift to someone and after they opened it and said thank you, handed them a bill? And is, and has anybody ever given you a gift that, 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 that you paid for? You know, I, just, just as I said that, I, I noticed my two daughters sitting down here on the front row and actually the thought went through my mind, um, I have been given gifts that I paid for. <laughs> Remember that when your kids were young? Remember that? It, it, they'd come and they'd give you a gift. You'd open it up and you'd go, oh, what is it? You know? And then the next thing is, how much did this cost me? And it's like, oh, you shouldn't have. No, really, you shouldn't have. Okay, so other, other than gifts given to you by your children, gifts are free grace is simply this i was once lost but now i'm found grace is this john chapter 1 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory is the only son from the father full of grace and full of truth grace is this is that jesus christ came into this world and died for us and he paid the price for our sins because we could not pay it ourselves now listen, I, I, I told you that I was fortunate enough to have a picture of grace from my dad. And, and I, I want to leave you tonight with a, with a picture of grace that I, I hope you never forget. The video that you're about to see in just a few minutes is about a father and a son, Dick and Rick Hoyt. Rick Hoyt was born and during delivery with an umbilical cord around his neck. And because the oxygen was cut off for a period of time, Rick was never able to walk or talk. But growing up, his mom and dad, Dick and Judy Hoyt, realized that he was highly intelligent because they, they, could, they could watch his eyes and they began to be able to communicate with him uh, with eye movement. As a result of that, Dick and Judy Hoyt taught their son the alphabet. 1973, some, some engineers found out about this. And so engineers began meeting with them and talking with them. The engineers designed... This, this, this computer, this device that, that, that Rick was able to use with eye movement, he could type letters, and then with a bump of his forehead, he could hit the return or the cursor. When Rick Hoyt was 15 years old, one of his classmates in school had an accident, and he was paralyzed for life. As a result of that, the school decided that they were going to run a 5K to raise money for, this, for his classmate. So through the computer... Rick Hoyt went home and told his dad, Dick, that he wanted to run that race and he wanted to support his friend. His dad was not a runner, so his dad began to train for that race so that he could push his son 
on a 5K to raise money. After the race, Rick Coit told his dad, Dick, he said, Dad, that was the very first time in my life that I felt normal, that I felt like one of the kids. And so his dad, who was not a runner, continued to train. And Rick and Dick Hoyt have run 72 marathons and 255 triathlons. I don't know if you know what a triathlon is. A triathlon is 2.4 miles of swimming, 26.2 miles of running, and 112 miles of biking. When Dick swims, Rick is being pulled by his father into raft. When Dick cycles, Rick is on a seat in front of his father on a bike. And when Dick runs, Rick is in a chair, and Dick is pushing him. Listen, I want to show you a picture of grace that I pray that you never, never forget from a father to a child. Watch this video.
around the young man in the chair. Everything I've done. because the Father has been pushing me, carrying me, or pulling me. That is grace. That is grace. And all that the Father is asking of you, get in the chair. Actually, you can't even get in the chair. He's asking you, Would you let me put you in the chair? Only three things that you need to know about Jesus Christ to accept him is that he was sinless. He came to this world, Emmanuel, God with us. He lived a perfect life even though he had temptation. It says he who knew no sin became sin for us. So he lived a sinless, a perfect life. The second thing that you need to know is he is sovereign. And everything that took place from his birth to his death was planned. And he's sovereign and he's in control. And you are not here tonight by accident because he's in control. And the last thing is this, is that he is a savior. That he came to this world to offer grace not based upon works, not based upon performance, not based upon perfection to us. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me just ask you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, what is your next step? Every one of us in this room, we have a next step. And maybe for many of you, it is to accept Him. Maybe it is for you to realize for the very first time that He is sinless, and he's sovereign. And he's a savior. And he's asking you to allow him just to put you in the chair. And maybe in the be- very best way that you know how, you just breathe a silent prayer right where you are. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. My sins have separated me from you. And I ask that you come into my life, that you forgive me of my sins. I want to be your child. And in the very best of my ability, I'm going to live for you. Maybe there's some of you here tonight, and you know what you'd say, you are believers. But maybe you've gotten messed up with this issue of grace, and maybe you're the one that's trying to pedal the bike or run the race. And maybe you need to understand that it's not by performance, not by perfection. It is by His grace. And He wants to pull you and push you and forgive you. Father, we thank you for tonight. Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you, we thank you for your grace. And now as we, as a church, we just launch in this season to where, Lord, we're going to understand grace upon grace. We're going to understand grace at work in our lives. And so, Father, I thank you for those who have accepted you. I thank you for those who have rededicated their lives, and may we know that we are here tonight because of Emmanuel, because of God with us, where you're worthy of our worship, you're worthy of our praise. And so, Father, we ask that you would just bless us and give us a wonderful Christmas as we remember you, for we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.